Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I know we have some in the room that grew up in church, basically church kids that were essentially born in a pew. Anybody with me? Anybody feel like that? Get, show me your hand. All right. Let's show some compassion for those that are around here. Born, first to arrive, always the last to leave. On my mom's side, I'm a fourth generation pastor. So I have all my aunts and uncles on my mom's side are pastors in ministry. We go way back. Uh, my, my dad's side is different, mostly in business and the medical field. But I have been in church for so long. And one of the things that happens when you grow up in church is you hear people say all kinds of weird stuff and you see people do all kinds of weird things. Can anybody attest? Church people are weird. The Bible is weird. Have you thought about that? And in church culture, and I'm not saying this is bad, but we, we have things that we accept as just like completely normal that we have to remind ourselves that a lot of people have no idea what in the world we are talking about. I think of when Peter gave his uh, first sermon in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. I think of it less as the first sermon and more as the first explanation because I think we need to just get in the habit of just explaining what is happening. Uh, I remember like a thing that we pray, and this is not bad to pray this, I'm not saying that at all, but I remember being as a kid and having uh, precious older folks in our church pray over me, just a hedge of protection. And I was like, what? First of all, what hedge are you talking about? What are you praying around me right now? What is this hedge of protection you speak about? I also remember thinking, what is God called? Because, you know, preachers, in, they'll say Jesus, Messiah, Christ, Lord, Father, Chosen One, the Almighty. I mean, like, what, who are we talking about? Is it a very schizophrenic God? Is it, what are we supposed to refer to him? How, who is the preacher even talking about? I just didn't understand these. Another one was this phrase, the manifest presence of God. Have you guys heard that? Manifest presence of God. I remember just thinking, if God is always present, then what is his, what are you talking about, his manifest presence? I remember hearing people pray, God, we pray that you'll just show up powerfully here. And I'd be like in my little developing theological brain, and you may have thought this before, if God is everywhere at once, why are you praying that? He, he's already here. Anybody ever thought that? Yeah, like what, what's going on with you? And we sing it in songs and all these things. And this is not a judgment. These are just all these questions that I had. And I eventually learned about the Trinity, that we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that it's three in one. And so it is one God, but three in one. It's this beautiful ministry that we can't fully understand. And Jesus is the Christ. So the Christ was the, was the prophesied Messiah, the one who would come. And then his name was Jesus, so we called him Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And God, our Father, formed the triune God. And then I eventually learned what the manifest presence of God meant and what scripture is really getting at and what people are talking about. Because eventually, as I grew up, I encountered the manifest presence of God, not just the sense of knowing that he's present. And the way I like to articulate that is by reminding myself what it was like to meet my wife, Jessica. So she's not here physically today, obviously, but you know, since she was born, she existed in the world. I did not know that she existed. She was present in the world for many years, before I ever met her. And then when I met her, her presence that had always been became manifest to me. 
And when her presence became manifest to me, I realized I wanted to have her presence be manifest with me a lot more. (laughs) Everything in my world changed because I encountered the manifest presence of Jessica. Mackenzie is her maiden name. And I wanted her name to become Jessica Kolar because I encountered her manifest presence. And when we talk about things like encountering the presence of God, that is when we don't just know theologically that God is with us, but we understand that we are actually with him and we're in his presence. And there's actually like an emotional reality to that. There's even a physical, at times, not that you see him physically, but there's a physical reality to that. And as a teenager, I, I would encounter his presence. And there's a scripture that some of us might know that says, perfect love casts out fear. And that's a powerful scripture, and it's completely true. And I've shared that scripture with people in counseling. I've tried to preach it to myself when I'm afraid. I've tried to teach it to my kids. But we all know this, that sometimes just quoting that scripture to yourself doesn't magically make you not afraid. Can we attest to that? Like, you can be terrified and quote to yourself a thousand times, perfect love casts out fear, perfect love casts out fear. And it might not change one single thing, even though you're trying to cling to the truth. Um, But Pete Scazzaro, who's an author that I like, he's the one who said, about that specific verse that it's not knowing that perfect love casts out fear is what actually casts out the fear. It's encountering perfect love that casts out fear. And again, encountering the manifest love of God is what actually casts out fear. And I think this distinction is really helpful when we think about what it is to know and follow Jesus and what it is when we gather to worship. I was in Oklahoma City for a few days this week with my wife, before she left for this conference. There's a group of pastors that I've met with for about a decade uh, that we just meet together and pray. It's about a dozen pastors and we still meet at least once a year. We used to meet four times a year and they pastor in different cities around the country and a few internationally. And we visit the church of whichever pastor we're hanging out with. And we were in Oklahoma City. So Skyline Church is a church there in downtown Oklahoma City. My friend Jonathan Middlebrooks pastors it. And we, they're really in kind of like a spiritual awakening at that church. It's really incredible. Um, uh, hundreds of people like getting saved. They're involved in all this prison reform in the county. They're seeing people, all kinds of things uh, w- regarding justice and prison reform in that area. Uh, they're, all these people are pouring in and getting saved. And we went to their Wednesday night prayer meeting and it was the only way to describe it, the manifest presence of God. And it's easy to do this. We get in the routine of services, prayer meetings. I think Curtis even said during worship, uh, worship is not a checklist thing. Like here we are, check, done. Um, It changes everything when it's real. And some of us have experienced that when you, not that we're chasing an emotional high, but when it's real, it changes everything. When you actually encounter the living God, and that is ultimately what we are doing and what we are after and what we are leading people into is an encounter with the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and it's really important as we study the Psalms, and this is a little theological lesson, that all of Scripture points to Jesus. It's the whole scope of Scripture. You can call it the progressive revelation of the entire Old Testament leads to the full revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us he is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. So if you wanna know what God is like, you look at Jesus. So it doesn't matter what maybe churches have told you or what you've experienced or how you've been hurt. Look at Jesus if you wanna know what God is like. And I like how Alistair Begg said it. I I quoted this last week. The Bible is a book about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. And there are a lot of Psalms that prophesy about Jesus. In the Gospels, he is revealed. 
In the Acts of the Apostles, he is preached. In the Epistles, he is explained. In Revelation, he is expected. And I love what Martin Luther said. We go to the Bible in order to find Christ. So when we're reading scripture and studying it and memorizing it, we're not just trying to get like old words in our head. We are, we are encountering the living presence of God through the living word of God that leads us to the manifest presence of God. It's powerful and it changes the way we look at scripture. We're gonna look at Psalm three today, just briefly, short sermon. The context of Psalm three is remarkable. David is the king of Israel and one of his sons, Absalom, Absalom rose up against him. So his son is leading a revolt against him. Not the desired outcome for any father with their son. So I can't imagine what David is going through in his mind and in his emotions in a moment like this. It gets so bad that David has to flee for his life as Absalom leads a revolt. So here is terrified David running, probably also broken hearted, all of his expectations unmet. And David was not completely innocent in all of this. One of the things I love about David and therefore the Psalms is, is articulated with Eugene Peterson's quote, David's life isn't an ideal life, but an actual life. I love that. And that gives us hope because how many of you have the absolute ideal life? <laughs> Giant thumbs down. Nobody. We don't have some sense of this ideal life. We don't have certainly anywhere near a perfect life. You know what we all have, though? Actual lives. And the Psalms are a book of actual life-type prayers, actual life-type wrestling matches with God. And David is in a very actual life situation. He's called a, 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 person, a man after God's own heart. Well, how in the world does he end up in a place where he's fleeing his own kingdom, chased by his own son, in his life threatened, terrified? How is that the final result? So I can relate as a pastor sometimes, and this is what I, I, I don't wanna ever put this pressure on my kids, nor do I want you guys to put this pressure on my kids as pastor's kids. But sometimes think, people think things like, well, if this person's gonna pastor this church, his kids better be pretty amazing. Because if the kids are just amazing and everything is going right and perfect, it means they're able to do this job well. And there's a case biblically, of course, for faithfulness at home. But at the end of the day, that, that, that kind of pressure is actually not a biblical thing because kids go into their own lives and do whatever they're gonna do and are responsible for their own lives. And David must be, talk about an insane situation. I hope Clay, he's only two right now, my son, but I hope he doesn't lead a revolt against me at Graceland Church when he's whatever in his 20s. And you guys better not listen to Clay over me. That's all I'm saying. Let's just get that out there now. Pre-decision making, stick with Nathan. No, I'm just kidding. That's essentially what's going on here though. Imagine if we were here for 20 years together and God builds the church and beautiful, all this stuff. And then Clay is the one who leads a big revolt against me. And, I'm, and he's like, I'm gonna kill you, dad. And I'm running for my life. That would be terrible. And that's where we pick up in Psalm 3, verses 1 through 2. David says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. David is in an overwhelming situation. And point number one today is that you will face overwhelming situations. They may not be as extreme as this, or they may be. But it's helpful to remember that this is a part of life. And Jesus affirmed this in the new covenant. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. So we are not preaching some message here that says you're never gonna find yourself in a corner. No, you will find yourself in corners that sometimes feel impossible. 
And it's helpful to remember going into it. And when we find ourselves in those situations, we don't have to be isolated there. Like we are somehow fatally flawed. You will end up in overwhelming situations. Some of you are there right now. And David demonstrates one thing right off the bat, which is one of the themes and Psalms that we're gonna keep mentioning. And that's, and this is down at the bottom of your notes if you're filling it in. Struggle towards God, not away from God. Sometimes when we are struggling or overwhelmed or doubting or fearful, we make the horrible, tragic mistake of rather than running to him with our struggle, we run away away from him with our struggle. The Psalms are this wonderful invitation that literally no matter what you were struggling with, including your own failure, hear me here, no matter what, struggle towards the living God. That's the invitation of the Psalms, and it's a great theme. And then David shifts gears right away in verse three. So he sets up the situation, then he begins to say, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Number two, when overwhelmed, acknowledge the problem, but cling to the promise. So again, the Psalms tells us, don't try to ignore the situation. I don't agree with the theological school of thought that says you can't even speak your problem out loud. You know, if you, if you speak it out loud, you are now not operating by faith. I don't agree with that at all. I believe Assess the reality of your situation. I'm terrified. I have no money. I have no idea what to do next. This relationship feels like it's killing me, God. I think we should do that. I think we should pour that out. I'm so angry with where my life is right now, whatever it may be. And David did that in the first two verses. So acknowledge the problem. But as you're acknowledging, remember, cling to the promise. And sometimes we get that exactly backwards meaning we acknowledge the promise, yes, 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 but we cling to the problem. It's like sometimes our worry, I love the definition of worry that my dad taught me, negative meditation. Worry is coming back to the same problem over and over and over and over and over again. You know what you're doing when you worry about the same thing 85,000 times? You're clinging to the problem instead of the promise. So it's one thing to acknowledge, it's another thing to cling. Are you tracking with me? And I think this is one of the models or frameworks, if you will, of the Psalms. Acknowledge it, but then declare the promise. And as a leader, I've been leading my whole life. I've always found myself in leadership situations since I was a little kid. And one of the most important things as a leader that gets more and more important as I go is collecting the actual data of the situation to help make the decision. So we are all people and humans and flawed and emotional, and we have a million opinions about everything. So we don't wanna make decisions just out of necessarily gut reactions that may be flawed. We wanna make decisions after the actual data is collected. You tracking with that? So before we you know, give up in despair because of our problems, especially when we are overwhelmed, the temptation is to give up, check out in some way, do something terrible because we're overwhelmed. We're pushed into a corner. Everything that's inside is coming out. It's a tough situation. But rather, what what scripture is telling us as far as collecting data, I believe, is rather than only believing the data of the problem, take a second to step back and collect what is actually true here. Scripture says, whatever is true, think about these things. And down at the bottom of your notes, this is another theme in the Psalms, to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. It's one of the things I really, really am so thankful for about a multi-generational church. 
because we have people in our church that have walked with God for 40, 50, 60 years. We have people in our church that have been married for over 60 years. And almost always the message they give me when I feel overwhelmed is, hey, you can trust God. This might seem like everything in the moment, but he will prove himself faithful. And this problem that seems huge and overwhelming right now will be contextualized differently as you come through it. It's kind of like how all of us would look at maybe a 10-year-old kid. You know, I have kids in that age bracket. And let's say a middle schooler, for instance. And you all remember being in middle school age, sixth, seventh grade, whatever that is. If there's a problem at school, it seems like the whole world is crashing in, right? If maybe someone made fun of you. Maybe you found out that girl or that boy didn't like you. Uh, one of my worst shutdowns was in middle school. This girl, Amber Pinkerman, I remember her name. <laughs> Amber, where are you? I've, I have no idea where she is anymore. Um, Amber Pinkerman, and I wanted to ask her to the school dance. And this is the, this is the I don't wanna sound cocky, but she was my biggest turndown. I was expecting a yes. And I went up to Amber Pink, Pinkerman's locker and I leaned, I leaned. You know the lean? And I leaned. This is about sixth or seventh grade. And I said, Amber, you wanna go to the dance with me? Of course, it's hard to ask that. And she's like, Nathan, you're such a good friend. I really value our friendship. This is how I remember it. But no, I'm not gonna go to the dance with you. Walk away in shame. My whole world is crushed. It's over. How can I even live? How embarrassing. She's gonna tell everyone that I asked her out. Life is over. That's how it really feels. And of course, as adults, you look at, a 10 or 11 year old going through that. And you're like, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna, I mean, this is, you're gonna, uh, the old me would have told the young me, you're gonna have other girls and you're gonna have one girl that ends up being the girl and she's way better than Amber Pinkerman. She's Jessica McKenzie and her manifest presence is gonna change your life. You like how I brought that back? Yep. The problem you're in right now, as overwhelming as it may seem, as this season passes and God's shown himself faithful, guess how it'll look in the past? Small. You'll be like, how did that shake my entire world like that? And there's something about realizing that as much as we can in the middle of it and recalling the faithfulness of God, preaching the promises of God helps us do that. Reading on in verse four, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. And I love this. I lie down and sleep. Three, you can rest in the answer of the Lord. So if you look at that text, it says, he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. Even if the circumstance doesn't change, what I believe scripture is saying and what I have experienced is that when you realize that God is truly with you and you might have, the answer might not even be what you want. It might just be, wait. You can actually then still rest. Once when I was, Early on in our pastoring journey in Los Angeles, we, were, we had planted the church. It was two years old. We were already planting another church. We were trying to plant a church out of our church in a different part of the city. I had hired two part-time staff members. So I was now paying people money and we were just a small church, but it's kind of like all by faith. We're going, we're going. And we always wanted to have about $30,000 in the bank. I'm gonna share a financial story with you uh, for the church meeting. That was our cushion. Uh, we had raised money to start. Let's keep that 30,000 there. That's our cushion. We don't know how much people are gonna always give, so it'll be a little backup if, if money starts to dip. 
And as I started spending more money, we're planting another church, we're paying more money out, I, I started to watch that 30,000 dip until it got down to like, I wanna say it was less than like three, which for a church and how fast money goes out and so many things happening, that's essentially completely broke. That's like having big goose egg in your bank account. And it's, it's very bad leadership to get to that point. And so I was like, I'm falling apart. This is terrible. Where did I go wrong? What mistake did I make? Uh, am I gonna have to fire someone I just hired? Am I gonna have to roll back on this church plant that we just said we feel like God is calling us to do? This is terrible. I'm freaking out. My whole world, it's crushing me, right? And I didn't wanna tell anybody. I, I don't, at this point, I didn't even tell Jess. I had not had a board meeting yet with our board. I didn't wanna tell all these people I just hired, so I'm bearing it alone. Have you ever done that? I'm bearing it totally by myself and dying. And one specific day, I sat in a coffee shop because we had no church facilities there, so I worked every day in coffee shops. And that's why I'm addicted to coffee, I guess. And I said, God, I I cannot leave this coffee shop until I hear from you. Like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I fire someone? Do I go back to part-time work and give part of my salary away? Do we stop doing this church plant? Do we keep going? I have no clue what to do. I'm, I'm totally bombing here. This whole thing's falling apart. And uh, I was there for hours, and I was just doing other things, and I got a Facebook message. Uh, and good things can happen with social media sometimes. It's very rare. From a woman that I went to college with who I didn't even remember. She, she was in Bible college with me. Now I know who she is, but I didn't remember her at first. And she said she felt like God put this on her heart at this moment to send me. And we believe in things called like a prophetic word, something that God puts on someone's heart to share with you as a really specific encouragement or answer to something. And that message on Facebook read my mail. It didn't just address what I was praying specifically. It hit like everything I was struggling with in my young pastoral life. And I'm sitting in that coffee shop bawling my eyes out because I know that God has spoken to me. His answer was enough. All of a sudden I had peace. All of a sudden, I had rest. Nothing in the circumstance changed at first, but I went home that night, and I was completely fine. What it said about the money specifically was, at that point, we had raised a lot of money outside of our church, like for church planting, people that would support it, and the message specifically said, there's gonna be a shift within your church from it being all, a lot of outside money to people that are in your church that are gonna become major financial partners for this ministry. That's gonna be a shift right now, so don't dial back, keep going, and keep living by faith, is what it said, um, and it was like from the perspective of God. And I really believed it was God speaking to me. That was enough. So I'm not gonna change anything. I'm gonna trust God. I now have peace. You can rest in his answer. Now, just to finish this story, because it's a great church planning story. I don't know if I ever told you this, Curtis, but the, the next, literally the next day, I didn't have to wait that long. And this doesn't always happen like this. But I was, there was a new guy in our church. Our kids were in preschool together, so we dropped him off. Um, He worked uh, an art director job for a very major video game. There's a lot of video game production in that area. And he said, I I came into some money from my work. He was pretty new in our church, getting restored in his faith. And he said, I'd like to give something to the church. Um, Well, how do you guys do that? Can I give some money? And I was like, yes, you can. And we believe this and this. We believe in tithing. We believe in offerings, no pressure. And we talked for a while. I don't remember how long. And by the end of it, I, I, I started getting curious. I was like, we're talking a lot about whatever he's gonna give right now. I wonder what it's gonna be. And literally, the day after on that morning, he handed me a check to our church for $30,000. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't always work like that. But that particular day, and I, I've never walked into a bank with more confidence like, you know what I mean, rolling in. I don't know what song was playing in my head, but I had a $30,000 check in my pocket. And I said, hey, we would like to, the church was called Clarity. We would like to deposit this in the Clarity's 
bank account, faithfulness of God. You can rest, but the, the point of the story, though, is more you can rest before you have the check in hand, when you have the answer from the Lord. Reading on in verse five, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. That statement is wild. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me. That's how it feels when we're overwhelmed, isn't it? I was actually in full candor, really overwhelmed by something just a week ago. And it, and, and it was one thing that triggered it, but then it turned into 10,000. When you really get overwhelmed, that's how it feels. Every little relational problem bubbles up. Every single one represents something maybe you're worried about in the future. Financial problems bubble up. Problems about decision-making bubble up. I was totally overwhelmed at, at a, I don't wanna say too much about it, but at a given point, last week, and we had a men's bonfire last Sunday night, and I shared with them a little bit about it for you guys that were at that bonfire, and they prayed for me. And actually, I didn't, that night didn't go very well, but the next day, um, a few things happened that, that were just the living embodiment of this sermon, where I had a sense of God's answer in the middle of the overwhelming reality, and all of a sudden, peace and rest again. I mean, it's literally so powerful when that happens. And here's the principle, when overwhelmed, walk by faith, not by sight. One of the things I've learned about being overwhelmed is the key is don't make bad decisions when you feel overwhelmed. It's like when you feel like you're in the pit, don't make your decision there. And the key is, hey, I might still feel like I'm in the pit, but while I'm here, let me, let me think by faith, not by sight. There literally might be 10,000 assailing me, but wait, 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 this can all change. This overwhelming problem will not feel like this down the road and I look back on it. So right now it feels like everything, but it's, it's not everything. If I'm gonna collect the true data, I'm gonna realize this is actually not everything. This is not that detrimental. This, we can get through this. And you might not feel it at all yet, but don't make those decisions there. And I'm not saying I always get that right. Like all of us, I sometimes make bad decisions when I'm overwhelmed. One of the first time, the first way I'm knowing I'm making a bad decision when I'm overwhelmed is if I'm short with my wife. That's the first, that's the first example for me. Because for those of you that are married, it's like you can, you can work this thing out anywhere, but you can't fake a thing with that spouse. They know. And, and, and she can tell before I'm short with her about anything. And that's, that's you learn those little triggers for you. What is it that lets you know you're feeling overwhelmed? Because then, then you can deal with it. Reading on Psalm 3, 7 through 8. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. This is the moment where if I imagine being David, it's like he rises up in faith all of a sudden. He's worked himself through these things. He's acknowledged it. He's then acknowledged the promises of God. He's then remembering that God gave him an answer and he can rest. And then I think faith is building and he's like, arise, Lord, deliver me. It's like faith rises again. And it's important that when you're overwhelmed, you pray overcoming prayers. Pray those overcoming prayers. And let me clarify, because he prays right there for God to literally like break people's jaws. <laughs> He's like, God, break their jaws. And in our context, in the new covenant of the gospel of grace, we're taught through scripture that our fight is never against a person. It's never specifically just flesh and blood. A person can be very tied up in your fight especially for those of you that have had abusers and things like that. I'm not saying that there aren't very unhealthy situations that you need to get out of that actually deserve justice. There are situations like that. But the root of our fight, scripture is very clear, is 
uh, principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. That's the root of it. So we are, when we rise up in overcoming prayers, it's never like, cast them down, I'm rising up. It's the deeper root of it. Are you tracking with me? Arise, Lord, deliver me. When I'm in these situations, something is gonna rise. It might be my anger. It might be my own fear. It might be my anxiety, but eventually I wanna get to the point, like David, where I want the Lord to rise. And I want my faith to rise. And the idea here is, no matter what part of your life feels overwhelming, there's still hope. There's still a way forward. There can still be restoration in the relationship. There can still be whatever it is in life that you had dreamed of that you felt like was forgotten, whatever it is that he put in your heart. There can, God, can, God can reframe things for the current situation in your life to make it be everything you thought it was supposed to be. Who knows how he will answer, but there's hope. Are you tracking with me? There's hope. There's financial hope. There's career hope. There's relational hope. There's hope across the board, and we wanna get to the place where we pray these overcoming prayers. And then he ends with this in verse eight. May your blessing be on your people. And if you read the eight verses back to back, this is the first time he prays beyond just himself. And the closing principle that I think is so beautiful is when overwhelmed, shift your focus from me to we. The problems we face want you to get focused on just yourself. Certainly the enemy of our souls wants you to focus on just yourself. But those of us that, I was talking to Stephen Houlet, in recovery ministry, one of the most important principles is, yes, learn about yourself and find healing, but then learn to carry the burdens of others. Learn to serve others. That's part of how we deal with the reality of being overwhelmed. Keith Green, one of my favorite artists, had this line, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And you might need to, in the middle of your overwhelming moment, just say, wait a second, I'm only thinking about myself. What are they dealing with? Pick up somebody's burden. You know what scripture says? Carry each other's burdens so you will fulfill the law of Christ. So the law of Christ is not you filling out the checklist perfectly. It's you looking to whoever's sitting next to you right now and being like, what's your burden? How can I help you carry that? And that will dramatically help you in the middle of your overwhelming situation. Let me have the band come on up. We're gonna sing that song again always that we just taught you over offering. And I just want us to pray in the middle of whatever we're in. I don't know if you feel overwhelmed, but if you don't feel overwhelmed now, you will feel overwhelmed at some point. And if you feel overwhelmed, I just, I pray that supernaturally God will allow you to Acknowledge the problem, but cling to the promise. Or maybe today God's gonna give you an answer like that face message, Facebook message I got that might not change anything in the circumstance, but it might all of a sudden give you peace so you can sleep. It might all of a sudden give you rest. Sometimes just knowing that you're the beloved of God. I mean, this is what we believe. I believe you are a beloved daughter or a beloved son of God. His fingerprint on you the image of the living God on you. I believe that's who you are. And it doesn't matter what you're in, that is still true. And when you learn to begin to respond to that, things change. We can actually live with fulfillment in our heart because of who we are, not because of whatever's around us. 
We can live with satisfaction. We can live with contentment. We can live with wholeness and with healing because of who he says we are. These are the promises that he tells us to preach to ourselves. So as we sing, just make your seat your altar. You can use these altars too. You can come to the front. We're opening up more and more uh, and back to being able to really pray with each other. But whatever you wanna do, let's just sing this song and respond and then we'll pray before we close. Lord, we thank you for help. You're actually a God who helps us. And I think there's probably one or more than one person here who has in previous days or years thought, God doesn't help me at all. God doesn't hear me. God doesn't even respond to me. And I wanna pray for that person. And I wanna speak to you. I just believe that God wants to tell you today that he has heard every prayer you ever prayed and that he is in fact with you and that he will show you that he is your God who will help you. Keep calling out to him. Keep seeking him honestly. Offer your life unto him. Serve him, follow him, run after him. Ask him every question you have. Struggle towards God, not away from God. I believe he's gonna meet you powerfully. If you're, if you're not even in the faith, you don't even know if you're a follower of Christ or a disciple of Jesus at all. Just pray it with me. Lord, I put my faith in you. I do not understand all this, but I know I need something. I, I, I want you, God. Forgive me for all the ways I've fallen short. Forgive, thank you for another fresh start. Maybe it's the first time I've ever felt like I've had a fresh start. Thank you for that. Wash me clean, God. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of Jesus, the way that actually works. I wanna follow you for the rest of my days. If you're one of those ones who raised their hand about feeling especially overwhelmed, one of the things you must do is find a brother or a sister in this church family or somewhere in your life to pour that out to. You must not bear it alone. You're not allowing others to fulfill the law of Christ if you carry your burdens alone. Share them with somebody. I just want you to commit in your heart. You might even need to make a call today. Set up a coffee right away for the first part of this week. And then keep struggling towards Him. Keep declaring His promises. Just spend your whole week in Psalm 3. Take it as a love letter from God. Take it as a sense that he's with you. I'm gonna pray this benediction over us and we'll be dismissed. Romans 15, three, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon. See you next week. <laughs>